0: British bassist Dave Green embraces life with an enviable enthusiasm, the same enthusiasm he brings to the broad range of music he plays. I talked with Dave during the 2012 I Love Jazz Festival in Brazil about playing with everyone from Benny Goodman to Ben Webster and his recent recordings under his own name. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Dave Green's first Brazil tour was years ago with childhood friend Charlie Watts.
1: I was here with Charlie Watts and it was a fantastic trip and it was wonderful. We did the uh, at that time we did the Charlie Wa- uh, t- sorry the Charlie Parker tribute with strings. And but Charlie's always had these ideas of doing these various projects over the years. He started off with a big band in 1985 and then we had the Charlie Parker quintet idea that he did with uh, young Gerard Presenza on, uh, on trumpet, and Brian Lemon on piano, one of my favorite piano players of all time, and I should say John Bunch's favorite piano player, or one of his favorite piano players. We
0: love John Bunch. Yeah, John Bunch.
1: <laughs> Miss him like mad. And um, that was fantastic. And how did that go Do over it,
0: here? That's interesting.
1: Well, it, it, in fact, it, didn't, it wasn't that great, actually. I, I think it was kind of... People weren't familiar with that kind of music at that time. And in fact, we had a couple of the a couple of the gigs with Paul. Mm-hmm. So, but um, but the whole experience of being here was just mm. wonderful. You know, absolutely wonderful. We, we had a great gig in Rio. Sao Paulo wasn't so good. I don't know. It, maybe it was pre publicity or something. But um, but the, but we did we did that gig actually uh, in New York at the Blue Note in New York,
0: and that went really well. And that was
1: fantastic. That <laughs> yeah. was fantastic. And I got to meet Teddy Kotick's son, who. Bought his dad's scrapbook, and he's one of my favourite bass players from that period with Bird, you know. And he bought his dad's scrapbook, and that was very emotional. We we looked at that those pictures of his father playing with Bird. That was fantastic, you know. And uh, and uh, Chico Hamilton came to that gig. Um, it was just a wonderful gig at the Blue Note. That was, uh, and I think that was the year that uh, Stan Getz died.
2: Mm. Um,
1: because I remember Red Rodney came down there. Oh. and and uh, he was saying that gets you know was pretty much dying at that time.
0: Well it means so much to all of us who but love it, that music that yeah. anybody and especially somebody like Charlie Watts who has a reputation who can put a little more get a little more publicity for it but it, somebody keeping that going who understands the music and wants to put it out it's a big deal.
1: It, it really is and he he loves jazz he, he loves jazz music and we I mean we, we grew up together as kids we were neighbors and we discovered jazz at both of us discovered jazz at the same time. You know? I
0: love these stories because different friends have told me how they've, you know, who played them that first jazz. Yeah. And if they had a pal like you did, who yeah. who could be discovering it together, it's oh, fantastic. It was, it was wonderful.
1: We would, we would, you know, we would be down the records shop buying records, and he would say, like, "I've got this, I've got this. Listen to this," you know. And he, but he was, he was ahead of me. I mean, he's he's uh, nine months older than me. Mm. Um, but he was ahead of me, and, and the stuff he was acquiring. You oh, know, really? So and, and, he would be playing yeah, things for he, you. Yeah, and he'd say, oh, "I've got this," you know. And I've got, it. and he'd, he'd have a, a Jelly Roll Morton ten-inch uh, LP, you know. And he'd be going in his bedroom. I mean, we were next door neighbors, so I, I would go in his bedroom, and he'd look record player and he'd play his stuff. And then, and then, and, uh, so he was he was ahead of me. I was learning a lot of stuff from him, the stuff Fantastic. that he was getting, you know. And uh, and I remember one day he, he got Bird and Diz at Massey Hall.
0: Oh, well, uh, there you go. And
1: uh, that completely blew me away. I was only about, I don't know, 13 years old or something. It sounded like music from outer space.
2: So so nuts, so
1: so nuts, so 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 I used to listen to the radio as a very young kid. You know, uh, there was a programme called Music While You Work on the BBC, and this was during the war. I mean, I was only—I was born in 1942. Mm. So, but that programme carried on into the into the—I think into the 60s actually. Mm. But um, I remember my mum used to put me in front of the radio and, uh, and uh, I just loved, loved, uh, and she said, I don't know if this is just her speaking, you know, said, I used to sing along with,
2: Aww. not the
1: melody, but just the kind of rhythmic thing underneath. I don't know, that's what she used to tell me anyway. But, um, but then uh, later on, you know, you, 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 as we were saying with, when, we, when we acquired the record with Charlie, one of the first records I bought at that time was the Jess Stacey Trio. And it had Israel Crosby on bass. And I just loved I just love that record. It was called Barrel House. I know that record. Yeah, with Gene Cooper on oh, drums. Yeah. It's a beautiful trio record. It's it's like it's it's light, it's it's it, you know, it's just it's so subtle and it's just wonderful music. Nineteen thirty-five it was recorded. And I think Israel was sixteen years old. And uh, so I got that record when I just got my first bass and i was and i was 16 right and uh so i i learned i learned i copied that record oh, i copied the, ba- the sorry the solo mm, mm. i copied the bass solo Aww. which and that's part of the learning process isn't it when you you know when you, you when you know when you first get your first instrument mm. you're learning and you're, you're listening to guys watching guys play and you're and you're copying things off records and that's what i did with that record and um, and uh, I still have a record today. It's just got a wonderful feel about it.
0: talking about learning a bass solo mm. and listening to it and listening to it exactly. Yeah. I I've never thought of this, but I think just watching you, getting to be here in person with you and your whole posture, I could tell it was a feel thing. And so often people talk about learning the exact notes and you're making me remember that when I would try to play like just Stacy or Fats in the beginning I would play over and over till I could play it with exactly that time. Mm. I was trying to get their feel. I could hear that their feel was different
1: that's it. than
0: the way I was doing it. Yeah. And I don't think there's a fast way to do that. I think you've, it's got to be this listening over and over and, has, no, no, the groove is a little different. Do you know what I'm saying? That's, I think that's very important. For other musicians to hear us saying this, because yeah. that's different than well, it, just reading a transcription.
1: It was different then. You know, we, we were listening to the records, and we, it, it was going in kind of organically.
0: Mm.
1: You know, you kind of, you, you, you listened to it, you, you, you copied, and you emulated the guys, and, and it was all kind of, there was no looking at reading music or anything mm-hmm. like that. It was just, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but, but you know, there wasn't any jazz schools in those days. When, right. When, you know, there wasn't that kind of scenario. Then, when I started listening to, them, to the music, and Charlie and I started yeah. listening together in, in tandem. So it was really, we were left to our own devices, and it was, it was to do with feel, what those notes meant
2: to you. <laughs>
0: My guest, British bassist Dave Green, from his CD, Time Will Tell, with Ian Dixon and Jean Calderazzo. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. In his younger years, Dave played with a skiffle band on an unusual bass of his own devising.
1: There was a hit record, Chris Barber Band, uh, made a hit record, Well, it, it, became, it, it was actually recorded in 1954. But it was a hit in 56, around that time. Um, It was Lonnie Donegan uh, singing Rock Island Line. And that became a massive hit in England. And uh, I don't know, I'm not knowledgeable enough to know where it derived from, but it was was a blues blues thing, you know, in the States. Uh, So this became a massive hit. And that became, it, it started off this craze for sort of homemade music. You know, guys used to, there's a washboard, uh, two guitars and, t- and a T-chest bass. And the T-chest bass was literally a T-chest.
0: We, we had, I think it know. was a washtub bass. Yeah. I right. think that's okay. what we okay. did. We'd have Listen. that, because you're bringing this back to me. I think that's what it was, because I've seen people. We, oh, yeah. Okay. And we called them jug bands. Would yeah, that yeah, be yeah. the same thing? Same,
1: similar kind of thing, I would mm-hmm. think, yeah. And you had a, you had a piece of uh, wire, you know, or curtain rod or something, or curtain wire, and a broom handle. And that was it. One string. You pull the broom handle back, change the pitch. <laughs> you know, but it was amazing. I actually got a good sound out of this thing. <laughs> it
0: must have been. Would it be good training for intonation? It seems like well, it would because you have to. It was ear training, you know. Because you have nothing else.
1: No, no, it was It was just. It was good for the ear, you know. And, uh, and I had a good ear. I was blessed with a good ear from an early age, you know, I guess. And... Um, but I remember I did a gig. It was just, yeah, we sometimes we we progressed with this skiffle group uh, to doing actually doing gigs opposite real bands. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we did this oh, gig and we were like like you know we were the interval skiffle group. Yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. something. there's a band on there, a guy with a real bass and a you know a saxophone, trumpet, you know, doing a dance gig, you know, a local dance gig. I was this like I was like 14 or something. We were a school band, you know, school fun, you know. And the bass player came over to me after we did our little spot. The bass player came up to me and said, "Hey man, you got a fantastic sound out!" <laughs> <laughs> I
2: couldn't believe
0: it. He's oh, playing a bass, gosh, and I'm playing this teacher. Great! That's great. That is so funny. Well, how did you? How did you progress, or should I say? I mean, you, you seem to have a really good thing with this T-chess yeah, bass. yeah, well, it lasted
1: wanna... it lasted a while, it, yeah. You know, and uh, when did then, you get a? Uh, when well, I was sixteen. When you were uh, sixteen, uh, uh, I, I, I got this. Uh, I bought a base. Uh, you know, finally got a base, and uh, and uh, and then and Charlie and I were sort of hanging out together, and you know, and I we we don't. I'd only had the base. I mean. It couldn't have been more than two months. You know, like, like practicing scales and stuff, you know. And copying my Israel Crosby (laughs) solo. (laughs) And then we got a call. Charlie and I got a call. I don't know. I can't remember. it, It was a friend of a friend, you know, heard that we... Because Charlie just literally hadn't long been playing drums either. Well, and
0: he was playing on a banjo head. Banjo head, head that's right. right. Yeah. But, he, he but he had he progressed to drums got, He had actually
1: got a, a drum kit now, Okay, by, so by he now, had you know? his kit. So you we had, both had We both had a real bass. You're and, on your and, way and, to big time. Yes. Exactly.
0: yes. Continue. And,
1: um, and we got the ossoff to join a local jazz band. And we both looked at each other. Like, what? You know, we, we don't know anything. We, you know, we haven't played with anybody. We've just been listening to records and stuff. Anyway, we, we thought, oh, to hell with it. So we went to, <coughs> so we went to the audition, and uh, and somehow we got through the audition. I, just purely on, on our ears, I guess. You know, we were we were roughly playing the right time, and, and stuff. you had a
0: good feel. Uh, yeah, I, go. I guess
1: so. Hopefully. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we got we got we somehow got through the audition. It was for it was for one gig a week in a pub in North London, and and we ended up doing that for like eighteen months. Oh,
0: know? that's fantastic. Yeah, or
1: something like that, and then. Uh, and that's like, that's how we started off and you know I've got photographs of that bandit playing in the pub, which is great. That's to see.
0: fantastic. Yeah,
1: wonderful. know, yeah, and, and um of course while we were doing that, we were we we're learning and learning and learning more and more and more. I remember listening, you know, I heard Gifford Brown, Max Roach, Quintet. So that's what and you that, were listening and to then. Period, it was really more of the that, Bop thing, yeah, right? That period we, we 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 discovered a whole lot of other stuff, you know. And it was fantastic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was very lucky, very, very fortunate at that time, because I was playing with older the guys mm. and older piano players. I learned, I learned a lot from the piano players I mm-hmm. played with at that time. Uh, good players, you know, experienced guys you know, right. who were in their thirties. I was still in my teens. Mm-hmm. So I was learning a lot from those guys, you know, harmony and stuff, you know, yeah, lines and stuff. Learned, so that was great.
0: And they're open. I think that if, in my experience, if people are serious about the music, and the feel, and so passionate, like you obviously are and were when you were young, they want to help. Yeah. Those guys want to. They think, they're not impatient. They'll say, here, try this or something like that.
2: Yeah, so that's right.
0: Yeah, which is really nice. Yeah. Well, I'm so, one of the many things that I'm so impressed is with you is your wide range of things that you do. And you're so passionate about all of it. I mean, you obviously like all these different styles. And you brought me a CD that you said was kind of in a different direction. To talk about this.
1: Yeah, this is the... Well, this is the my first album under my own name, and uh, in fact, well, the, I've, I've done two albums. <laughs> this is actually the first one under my own name. It's a trio record with uh, a wonderful tenor saxophone player called Ian Dixon, who now lives in Manchester, north of England, and um, and Gene Cardazzo on drums, who uh, is from New York and living in London. And um, we did this. We started recording in '98. We did. Various sessions, 98, 99. and um, I'm I'm very happy with it. Yeah, it's 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 um, it's, you know, it's tenor. He plays. Uh, Ian plays bass, clarinet as well, and clarinet, and uh, it's very loose, open. It's just tenor, bass, and drums.
0: Which is really uh, and, nice. And it's, it,
1: it, yeah, I love it. It. it, uh, it Ian, Ian. Ian. should be more known. He's he's a wonderful musician. I think you'll like him. He's a fantastic player.
0: do your own project after so many years of other people making those decisions and just saying let's play this talk yeah, about that it,
1: it, what it was yeah I, it, I was very reluctant to get into it you know but and i at, at the same time i was thinking well, what, what am i going to do anyway you know yeah. what, kind of, what kind of thing am i going to do to you know and then it just seemed to slot into place you know i i'd heard gene uh Never played with him.
0: Oh, you hadn't. So you I, didn't choose people that you'd played with. No, a lot. I hadn't.
1: I, well, well I, 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 I heard Gene at a late night jam session at, at the Pizza Express in, in London. Yeah,
0: but I mean, you didn't choose a regular trio that you, cause no, you've because no, you've had your own groups through no, the years. No, I didn't. But, interesting. Well, I didn't have
1: my own groups. No, I, 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 I was playing with different, obviously different guys yeah. all the time. but I.
0: I but I, you didn't do a lot of things where it was your group. No. Oh, oh interesting. nothing, nothing,
1: nothing at all in my, in my own group. I didn't have a group.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting. <laughs> Never did. And I
1: was kind of reluctant to have my own thing. You know, being very much, I mean, my, my idea of my role as a bass player is very much a team player. You right, know, right, right. Supporting you know, all of that. that right. all, all of that, yeah. But I thought, well, I should do something, you know, make a statement, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and I I kind of, I've always fought against this idea of being typecast mm-hmm. as a musician, you mm-hmm. know, whether you, you're, you have a stamp on your forehead that says, you know, you're a traditional musician or right. you're a mainstream musician or a modern whatever. Right. I'd, I'd fall against that because I'd, I'd always love, I love all forms of jazz music. And and I, I listen to, I listen to the whole history of your music. That's one of the joys of this music, you know. I mean, I started from a certain period of listening, mm-hmm. like I was talking about earlier on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But then later on, much later probably, I, I discovered Bix, you right. know? And early Louis, which I, I kind of miss when Charlie and I were well, we, we 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 sort of scraped the surface of it a bit. Mm. But I, but you, you, so much is coming at you certainly when you were you know when you're first discovering the music and you leap from here to there, boom, you know. And so I missed a lot. I missed I missed Tuberry, I missed a lot of stuff from the thirties and twenties. And so I went back to that, discovered that later, and and then and I love all that now. I love the whole history of music. And I love even into the areas of free, free playing, mm-hmm. you know, which I've done a little bit of with a wonderful friend of mine who just recently died called Lowell Coxhill. And I um, did a lot of free playing with Lowell. And, uh, and I love that aspect of it as well. depends who's doing it, of course. depends <laughs> on your own history, <laughs> right. where you're coming from. Right. Um, but that can be very meaningful to me, to play free music. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, so when I did my own album, uh, it was kind of a thing to make a statement, because uh, you know I'd I played with Humphrey Littleton's band for eighteen years, which is a wonderful experience. It was fantastic playing with Humph, very kind of Ellingtonian, a lot of Ellingtonian music. Yeah, I was going
0: to ask you about that. And, as and well. that was wonderful,
1: and it was fantastic for me, and um, very made me feel kind of it was like ground grounding for me. Mm. You know, when I was got married, I had two young kids, and. It was security, you know. But, yeah. but, but at the same time, he was. It, it, it wasn't coasting. It was, it, you know, Humphrey's a wonderful leader. He got Buck Clayton arrangements and stuff. I was going to
0: say, and you had other people who would yeah. tour with yeah. you, like, because you had Big Joe like Turner. Like, Turner. Yeah, Big
1: Joe Turner and then Tony Coe played with that band, and Joe Templey, you know, and so that was a great experience, too. But I, you know, and I'd played with Stan Tracy, so I was kind of moving around a lot of the time in, my, in what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So when it got to do my own record, I thought, well, I just want to do something, uh, get the guys around me that I, I, I love to play with. and that, So when I saw Gene, I just loved what he was doing. I just loved his playing. I thought, I've got to play with that guy. you know. So we, we fixed up a couple of little sessions to play, play with each other. And Ian, I'd been playing with, with uh, Kenny Baker, the trumpet player. He had a band called Kenny Baker's Dozen, which he had in the fifties, but then he reconstituted that later on. And so I played with him with that band, and I'd heard Ian in other contexts as well. And I just thought, I don't know, this is going to work if I just do a trio with those guys. It'll work. I kind of knew it would work, and it did work. It was great, you know. And we even played a bit of free stuff on this album as well. Fantastic. A bit, a bit freaky, <laughs> but we just kind of, we, what we did. We did some some tunes. We did. You know, a couple of things, a couple of sessions. Then we thought, I don't know, we'd do a free session. We just go in and play free, you know, and 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 it was kind of we were experimenting as well. Mm. You know, I didn't know if it would work or not, or you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, because I didn't know really where Ian was coming from mm-hmm. a lot of the time. But anyway, we did it, and I'd use a couple of short little things on there just. And one of them is really funny. I don't know if you want to play this on air. But I do. Which but one? It, it's it's We use a cell phone. <laughs> I
0: it's, like it. It's, it's, it's very it's, modern. It's
1: totally out there. But the other thing...
0: The other so thing, it's sort of like we have it, someone named uh, PDQ Bach, and he'll do duets for, you know, totally euphonium yeah. and, and bicycle I mean, pump. So you did look, this with a cell phone.
1: Yeah. But it was Gene's cell phone. He held it up to the mic. We just played to the cell phone. It was crazy. Crazy stuff. So you played but, to but the it, cell phone, but, but had, then...
0: And that made a different sound. You recorded the phone, on the cell phone? It
1: rings. You oh, the, I see. And then, and then then we just went crazy. Okay. Oh, that's And the cell phone's going behind. And then, But the weird thing about it was that it actually has a form. This just happened in the studio. It sounds like it's preordained, you know, pre-worked out and stuff, but it's not. It just completely off the wall as we did it. It's only like a couple of minutes, you know, but it's it's – it's but the, I thought do I, do I put this on the album or what you know because it's kind of totally yeah wall. and I thought well because one of my joys of my life was when I worked with Roland Kirk at uh, Ronnie Scott's in the 60s that was the period that was a fantastic period for me when those guys came from the states Roland Sonny Rollins I played it was a wonderful period for me I was only in my 20s you know and um, I thought well I don't know Roland would like this
0: <laughs> did you? that's fantastic. if he was if
1: he was like right
0: right right i was just I saying that yeah i thought that truck
1: around he would love uh. it <laughs> so I us put it on <laughs>
0: on mobile from his CD, Time Will Tell, with Ian Dixon and Gene Calderazzo. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons and from East Hampton Indoor Tennis, eight indoor and 20 outdoor courts in a quiet, beautiful park-like setting. Visit ehit.ws for more information. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired free on iTunes and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter at Stride Queen. To find out more about my CDs and where I'm touring and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. British bassist Dave Green talked with me about enjoying all styles of jazz and reflected this range on his CD, Time Will Tell, including a tune which incorporated the sounds of his cell phone. I love talking about playing free as you're talking about this track Mm. and the range of what you did on this CD, after talking about how you learned and bringing it all in organically. Mm. Because for me, I always feel that you can be free if you know where one is. (laughs) If you know what I mean. Some of these guys that want to start out being free from the get-go, but they have no idea of structure, no idea of anything else. That that is... it doesn't mean anything. And and it's you've proven my point because as you say, this wound up sounding like it was worked out even though it wasn't.
1: Yeah, yeah. It had I it, think that's because it it got of,
0: its own form.
1: Because we're the guys playing it, you know. So that's you come from where you come from. And, exactly. Uh, and uh, I mean but I I hear what you're saying about I mean, the ultimate freedom is um is to play I mean the, the American songbook never you never tire of the American songbook.
0: Right.
1: And uh and and that that can be so so many it's it's in infinity really what you can do with with that song form mm-hmm. isn't it you know and if you can become free within that
0: exactly. those songs
1: then you've really achieved a freedom exactly uh, 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 and, and that 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 requires you to be um aware of the people you're playing with uh, and to be totally giving of oneself to the music
2: mm.
1: uh, at the same time like this is the thing I've been trying to you know you, you know, over the years I, when I think back on the way I was when I started playing a lot of the time I was too reticent, you know i mm. too late I didn't want to i stay out of the way you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you learn you've got, you have to make a statement you have to this is me you know um, and, I, and you're still I'm still learning now I'm 70 years old for God's sake you know I'm still learning how to how to not it's no big ego thing but it's just to, just to make be assertive within the music.
0: I love you saying that. That's so interesting because it's commitment. That's how I'm hearing it because so many people who quote make a statement are stepping all over everybody and it is ego driven. And so mm. people that are trying to fit in as I'm hearing this this is my interpretation. And want to be part of the band and, and every bass player I know, every great bass player I know, that is the role to support everyone. It is, and, it is. And so if you have that personality that drew you to the bass in the first place, then you're that kind of person. But if you want to then be committed, though, and expose yourself, which is really what this is about, yeah. we learn that to. I'm part of the team, but I'm also going to say here I am. It, it's 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 just a role.
1: It's like I love Mingus, you know. Yeah. Mingus uh, was a band leader. I'm yeah. I'm I'm not a natural band leader. Even with my own group, I'm not. A, I wasn't leading it mm. in, in that respect. Mm-hmm. I was just. It was an entity, you know. Yeah. Like, um. So, I mean, go back to it again. After after uh, Israel Crosby, Jimmy Blanton was my was my real and still is really the biggest influence. Blanton and Scott the Fireworks and everything that comes from those two guys.
0: Duke Ellington and his orchestra with Jimmy Blanton playing bass on the 1940 recording of Jack the Bear. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. My guest, bassist Dave Green, feels Jimmy Blanton is one of his biggest influences.
1: He, um, revolutionized the role of bass playing when he suddenly appeared on the scene in 1940 with Duke. And, um... But he, one—it's wonderful what he just does with the band. He's so powerful and so strong. Mm. But he's not—he's not in the way of the music. You mm-hmm. know, he's, he's at the same time being as strong as he was and dynamic playing and the time and the sound of his bass and everything. And the, he was an enormous influence on me, you know. But it's his subtlety. It's
2: mm.
1: and I, when I—I I, I was very lucky to work with Rex Stewart when he came over to to England. But one of those. Jazz goes to college concerts I did with, with a humph, and he was a guest, and I asked Rex about uh, about Blanton, you know, and he said, oh, yeah. he said, "Yeah, never got in your way." And that says you know uh, and uh, you know that says it says everything. you never got in your way although he well, they had all that thing going for him, and he was, he was a star of the band really at that mm-hmm. time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: he was just playing the music right, you know? right. but with that incredible. Energy and strength that he had and personality that he had, you know.
0: And if you have a presence and a strength and and great music, as we're talking about, you're leading I'm thinking about you saying you're not a natural leader, but there's very different kinds of leaders. And when it's just strong and it's there, it's it's I always think of Basie just very subtly pointing or looking yeah. at somebody he was the leader <laughs> yeah, but there yeah. wasn't a lot of histrionics and waving or That's anything right. he just looked over and you knew yeah yeah and think about it with you you're mm. here with Scott Hamilton yeah. it was one of the things when i heard you in england last summer and i had one of these flashback moments of this is why i got into the music because you all just played and Scott gets that lovely little smile on his face, and just very satisfied, shaking his head, <laughs> I'm digging it. And you all smile at each other, and then he'd look over and nod, and then someone plays and yeah. look over and nod. And it's it is organic. It's this it, beautiful yeah, it's, thing it's, it's, all moving together, and... To me, that's what it is. And yeah. so he is the, quote, leader of the group.
1: Yeah, but it's very much but a But he's not
0: pounding it. N- not
1: at and, all, no. It's very and much I, a group. That's how Scott.
0: I think of our kind of jazz. That's really a collaborative kind of jazz. When I say our kind of, what yeah, I know of yeah. your work.
1: It's to and fro. It's, it's listening and it's responding.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All, the, all those things. But still having yeah. that
0: presence. Because if someone yeah. doesn't have the presence, as you're talking about what you really admire, we both know everything falls apart. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. because <laughs> there isn't that person that's who's the leader. Ah, who's the leader? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Train wreck.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: tell me about this CD. You brought me a couple.
1: Yeah. This is um uh, uh, one of the joys is of, of, you know I get to play with a lot of young guys and um, which is which is really great. You know because i'm a old guy
0: <laughs> <laughs> listen i'm feeling that way too the energy is so great and so enthusiastic <laughs> good i remember when i was like that
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh I, I play with uh barry green as a young piano player and uh no relation with no relation mm-hmm. and, and again you know you sort of certain guys you you, you play with and there's a kind of rapper there which is you can't put your finger on it, but it's there. It, it, it just, you feel natural about playing with this guy and you, you go the same way harmonically or whatever and rhythmically and you think, oh yeah, great. So I did a thing for things with Barry and uh, I thought I'd love to record with him, you know, and uh didn't know what we were going to record, what songs or anything. So we fixed up, the we put a, a date in the book just for the two of us, just to go along to the studio. And um, I'd heard been listening to some alec wilder songs and I, and I just love alec wilder i mean unbelievable you know and i heard his somebody gave me a, a recording of his octets from the 30s late 30s which are fantastic they really are the writing the sound and and his titles are wonderful too you know
0: they're so beautiful yeah. you could just hear the title
1: yeah and i just read a lot about his life and everything and um the nomad life of the nomad life he lived, you know, in and out of hotels, living out of suitcases and stuff. But this guy was absolutely amazing, you know, and and jazz, jazz, I mean, jazz kind of comes out of his writing. And, um, he did all those other things, the woodwinds, quintets and stuff. Anyway, so i Picked up a couple of uh, songbooks mm-hmm. to take along to the session. And oh,
0: how lovely! So you didn't—you didn't hadn't decided before do. the session. No, oh, no that's idea. Great. But, so we
1: took the songbooks along and we just looked at the looked at the stuff and decided then. I, I mean, I wanted to do "I'll Be Around," right? Because it's so beautiful. I think that's a beautiful song. Yeah. But then we looked at the there was a thing, a thing called "Where Do You Go," which I'd heard that Stan gets it done. Mm-hmm. But I did, but I didn't know the recording at the time that we did this version, which is actually a solo piano solo. Barry does it as a solo. And there was other titles. That I we just love the sound of the title, you know, the sounds around the house.
0: I know, they're so evocative.
1: And Turn Left at Monday. What? What a beautiful <laughs> title, you know? So so we think, hey, let's, let's, what's, what, what's this sound like? And we played Turn Left at Monday and loved it. And, and of course, we, so we recorded it. There's another thing called Unbelievable, and so we we did that, and then we did some other songs, Billy Strayhorn thing, and the Fran Landsman song to um, "Bow the Sad Young Men," which I was so really overjoyed to meet her in London because she lived in London for years. Oh,
0: I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: and she recently died too. But she, I, I actually worked with her through a singer called Sarah Moore, mm-hmm. and um, that was a joy to meet her. She was fantastic. And she used to read poetry on gigs and stuff. It's a whole other story. Wonderful. So we wanted—I wanted to do one of her songs, and we did that, you know. And um, but this turn left at Monday was extraordinary to me because it's such a wonderful song, and nobody's recorded it. It's unrecorded. Now I think it must have been one of the last things he wrote.
0: Ah. Uh-huh.
1: And it was just. Put in the book. Put aside. Put aside, and nobody picked up on it. Oh, you know? how lovely. Yeah, so. So you got to do that. We got to make the first version of Turn After Monday, which, uh, and um, we're very happy about that.
0: So we have a very good mutual friend, Axel Sevingenberger. I just like saying his name. Yeah, he's such a wonderful person, a great boogie player. And he's just, a great guy. I love he's him. A great I love guy. him.
1: I've, yeah.
0: Tell me about this project because I love this—the ABC well, and D of boogie woogie. Yeah, I
1: love it too. It's great, and, and Charlie and I get to play with each other. Again, I know which exactly. Is it must
0: be just a huge party every time it, you it get really, together. It really is.
1: Well, this, this started because I, I first met Axel in 1986.
0: Oh, so you've known him a long time. Well, only,
1: only because we, we, Charlie and I were, were, were booked to play with Axel on a TV show oh. called The South Bank Show, which, uh, which ran okay. for years. It was a fantastic arts show. Uh-huh. And they put different uh, you know, uh, projects every week and stuff. And this was a thing about Boogie. Oh. And it was called The Left Hand of God.
0: Oh, this nice. program, it was done
1: in 86. And I remember Nat Pierce was there.
0: Oh wow! He was
1: in this, it just in the audience. He just had to be in London. Oh he was wow! There, so I got got to meet Nat. and uh, so we did this TV show with Axel and and uh, I think the connection was Charlie at that time was working with a band called Rocket Eighty Eight, with with a guy called George Green. Oh and yeah, Bob Hall. Mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you know that band? Yeah, yeah, yep. yep. And that, so I did a few depths with that band. So it was a connection thing, you know. So Axel came over, and then we did this TV show about Boogie, and. So we did this, 86, and then that was that. You know, I didn't see Axel, just occasionally, but some place, you know, but not working with him, not playing right. with him. Right. Um, but unbeknown to us, when that TV show was aired in that 86, there was a young 12-year-old guy in the West Country of England watching the TV. His name is Ben Waters. And he was 12 years old, Ben, right? And so... Fast forward a few years, you know, I get a call from Ben Waters in 2009 and said, Dave Green, yeah, yeah, uh, could you come down to uh, Wimborne in Dorset and do a gig with, Char- with uh, Axel Swingenberger and me? And Charlie's on drums, could, can you do it? I said, yeah,
0: great. You know, had they hired Charlie? Book,
1: but, well, they got into he Ben had called Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> and because he, he'd, he'd met Axel in Germany or right. somewhere, and 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 spoke about the TV show, and he said, "Wouldn't it be great if he could, you know get together all of us and just do a couple of gigs or just one gig even, you know?" So and he'd fixed his fix for Axel to come over to to do this gig in Dorset, and and he decided to call Charlie. He just, out of the blue, just called him, you know, because Charlie lives down there in that area, in uh, in Devon, and Charlie said, "Yeah, I'll do it if Dave, you can get Dave Green on bass."
0: I just love that he called Charlie Watts. Yeah, he called him, yeah. <laughs> and got him. And
1: got him, yeah. But Charlie said, I'll do it if Dave does it.
0: <laughs> right, but I figured that you were the one that had done it, because you know some of these no, stuff. No, you no. call these so, people up and it just so, happens. No, no,
1: so that was that it. Was so we all, we all met, you know. I hadn't seen Axel for years and stuff, you know. And then we all met up and did this gig, and it was
2: great.
0: Axel is so powerful and so much fun with that boogie thing and so committed that I, he, I told you I did a just concert a week ago. Yeah. And I, it was sort of like someone jumping out of an airplane and yeah. has you on their back with a parachute. I thought, well, Axel's taking me along. He's, I'm going to pretend he's, like he's I a, can do
1: this. He's a joy to, he's a joy to be with. He, he's, oh, yeah. I love him. I love him. Yeah, he's he's great a fun. wonderful guy.
0: As are you. <laughs> we have to go off to a sound check. I can't wait oh, to get to, to play go? with you sometime. <laughs> let's do it. This is going it. to be so much fun. Here maybe tonight. In, I, yeah, maybe it may happen. It may happen. Thank you so much. Thank you, for, Judy. Let me rope you into this I've very loved it. quickly. Great to do so it. Thank much you very much. Fun. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. You've been listening to my conversation with British bassist Dave Green. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com. Our opening music was airmail special, and the midbreak music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD Trio. I'm on piano with my on sax and Chris Mori on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and Steinway and Sons and Sag Harbor Florist. Visit sagharborflorist.net. Additional support is provided by the American Hotel in Sag Harbor, New York. Learn more at theamericanhotel.com. Jazz Inspired goes to Kiowa Island, South Carolina, February 22nd through the 24th, 2016, with interviews and performances on stage. I'll have pianist Bill Cunliffe with me, saxman Harry Allen, guitarist James Chirillo, and bassist Pat O'Leary, along with author Al Green, who will talk about his new biography of his father, bassy guitarist Freddie Green. February 28th, I'll have Grammy Award-winning guitarist John Jorgensen with me at the Clayton Center for the Performing Arts in Maryville, Tennessee. We'll talk about his long association with Elton John and his new three-CD release, which features rock, bluegrass, and jazz. John and I had a band together early in our careers, so there'll be lots of music making as well. Go to jazzinspired.com for more information